Well Firehouse Church, welcome to 2021. <laughs> we're uh, uh, we're off to a roaring start, right? <laughs> Regardless of how you feel about things, uh, I am confident that God has a plan, a mission, and goals for us to accomplish this year, both individually and as a church. So. Even though things are crazy, I am looking forward to the future this year with great expectations, and I hope you are as well. Uh, t- today, I thought, you know, I, I was I was thinking about it, and I go, wow, a year ago, now we were just getting started on our journey of converting our church into the house church format. And although we had no idea what 2020 would hold, I am looking back and I am thanking God for what He's done with our church, how He's moved us through the storms and into the place we are today. As a way of looking back and looking forward, I want to start by asking just a real simple question this morning. And that question is this, what? is the goal of our faith. What is the goal of our faith? Now, I asked that question and I'm guessing all of you probably have an answer to that. But I thought this morning, let's just check in with the Bible and make sure that whatever our answer is lines up with it, right? And so we're gonna look at two verses. Uh, The first verse is from 1 Corinthians chapter nine, as verse 22, and the second verse is uh, from the book of Jude, uh, verses 22 and 23. So the first one from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, says this. Paul's talking. He says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And so then to look at that in a second way, we look at uh, Jude verses 22 and 23. It says, you should have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So there's two verses. And according to these verses, what is the goal of our faith? Well, at least one of the goals. Well, and that goal, the answer is to see others, to see others saved, to see those who are perishing be rescued. Now, you've surely heard this a lot, so there's nothing new to you. But today, I'd like to reframe this idea that our goal is to see those who are perishing be rescued. I want to reframe this for you with an analogy. Now, no analogy is perfect, so we don't need to try to take the analogy and stretch it too far into other places. But as I've thought this through, this analogy has really helped me get a better view on the world, a better view on our mission, and a better view on the task that's at hand. So imagine with me, if you will, imagine that there has been a disaster I don't know what it was exactly, but it was bad. And it's the kind of disaster where no one can just walk away because it was a disaster in the ocean. 
And now the sea is filled with people wearing life vests bobbing up and down in the waves. Now, as you would imagine, some are injured, most are scared, and of course there are some who are so shocked by the ordeal they're kind of in denial. But all of them, every single one, all of them are in need of rescue. If not, they will perish from their injuries, from the sharks, from exposure, drowning, or something else really unpleasant. So how will they be rescued? Well, because it's the open water, the only way they're going to be rescued is by a ship of some kind. Now, when there's a water disaster, we know we, we typically don't care what kind of ship picks us up, right? You guys remember when that U.S. Airways flight uh, crashed into the Hudson River a few years back? And that happened and the plane was, was slowly sinking. There were all kinds of boats that showed up to aid in the rescue. Even some of the, like, the passenger and the vehicle ferries were showing up to help pull people out of the water. But in reality, when it comes to a disaster or to rescue on the water, the open water, the best kind of boat for, for this is a lifeboat. And no, I don't mean the emergency kind that you know, drops off the side of a larger sinking ship. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the heavy-duty rubber raft that's got a swift outboard engine. It's equipped with all kinds of safety gear, and it's got a trained crew, and it's ready to move swiftly. Now, of course, there's pros and cons to this kind of rescue boat. Of course, the, the positives are that it's fast, it's nimble, it's, it's right close to the action, right? It's right on the surface of the water, and it really just has one singular mission. Then, you know, the negatives of it are, you know, it can only hold so many people. And then, of course, it's not very exciting to look at or to hang around on, right? There's no, there's no entertainment on board this kind of rescue boat. So, back to our analogy. In this analogy, you get all the people in the water, but there are rescuers. And as the rescue process has gone on, these rescuers have gotten really focused on the cons of these lifeboats. And so they're saying things like, we need to be able to hold lots of people in here and it's getting pretty crowded. And saying other things like, hey, that, you know, this is kind of dull. Maybe the people who are getting rescued would be more inclined to get out of the water, especially the ones who are suffering from denial, if we got some onboard programs and some entertainment. So some of these rescuers have concluded that their best option is to build a cruise ship. Now, okay, you can laugh, or, or don't laugh, because at some point they're right. When it comes to those cons, the cruise ship can hold a lot of people, and it does make for an entertaining place. So, in our analogy, these rescuers take their boats, and they kind of convert them, and they start building a cruise ship. And they get it built, and things actually go really well for a while. So this big boat starts to fill up with survivors, and maybe even some who were in denial that they needed rescue have showed up. And as an added benefit, you know, this cruise ship is pretty tall. And because it's tall and it's got a lot going on, it's all lit up and there's sound sort of, you know, wafting away from the boat. And so it can be seen and heard from a long ways away, calling out like a beacon to the disaster victims. So before long, there's other rescuers in the water and they see this cruise ship and they look at it and they go, hey, that seems to be working pretty well. 
So they start building their own cruise ships. And each one is constructed in a custom way with its own special entertainment and its own form and shape and organization and programs. And so now you've got this, it's all these cruise ships out on the water. And things seem good for a while, but there are problems. For one, not all the survivors even want to get on these ships. In some ways, it's these big things sticking out of the water, these cruise ships are kind of disconnected from the reality of the disaster. It seems kind of weird. Another problem is that the ships are really big and they're kind of intimidating, looming there really, you know, stories and stories out of the water. But the biggest problem is that the cruise ships are not really designed to rescue people. They're really designed to be entertaining, self-contained vessels that appeal to the senses. So, because there's these problems, lots of these survivors, they just stay in the water. They're not interested in the entertainment or the programs. They don't see how these cruise ships are really going to help them in their time of need. And so, the cruise ships inevitably start focusing inward. Are we feeding our guests the tastiest food? Are we making them comfortable? Are we providing the best entertainment and recreation? And now many of the rescuers on these cruise ships, they still have a heart to save the people in the water, but these other questions begin to dominate their efforts and their time and their vision. And so after a while, some of the leaders of these ships even say, hmm, you know what? We don't need to actively pull survivors out of the water. They'll see the lights, they'll hear the music and smell the food, and then they will swim over to us and climb aboard. And you know what? If they don't, they don't really want to be rescued anyways. And then there's the people on board these cruise ships. They've already been rescued, cleaned up, got some good food, warmed up if they were cold, if they had their wounds, they've been treated. And so they start looking around this cruise ship and they think, wow, so much effort is going into this production it must mean that the whole point of this cruise ship is the entertainment. And so these people who were once rescued don't look for how to pull other survivors out of the water. And if this wasn't sad enough, it goes to another level. Many begin comparing their ship to other cruise ships. Hey, that one has steak and lobster. And that one has nicer guest quarters. And did you hear the band over there? They are so much better than what we have here. And so they start moving from one cruise ship to another, spending their time looking for situations that are more pleasing to their own senses. But maybe the saddest part of all is that many survivors floating in the water end up climbing onto these ships looking for help. But as they look around, all they find is entertainment and selfishness and greed. And so they turn around and they jump back into the sea to take their chances with the sharks. Okay, so you've probably guessed that I am making an analogy about the church in America. And so to process through some of these ideas, I sort of tell you what I'm coming from. Let me, let me just try to connect a couple of the dots for you here. First, 
I think we can all agree that the culture around us is wrecked. It might be hard to pinpoint the exact causes as to why this is the case, because I think there's so many causes. But things are in disarray. And the waters around us, if you will, are filled with victims of the disaster of a wrecked culture. We are bearing what I think is long-anticipated fruit of the detachment of society from God's design for morality and order. And people are floating, and they will perish eternally if they aren't rescued. Second thing, it seems clear that over the past 40 years or so, the church in America has been focused on building cruise ships. I've said it before, but my guess is that it probably began when churches saw the effectiveness of Billy Graham's crusades, that he would hold these events and all these people would show up. But regardless of how we got here, and I don't really blame Billy Graham because I think he was doing a good work, but regardless of how we got here, we look around us and we see that the prevailing model for church has entertainment and programs as a central component. And one attitude that I think is clearly evident in that is the attitude of come and see, come and see. Now, this has had its season of effectiveness for sure, and we praise God for that. But can you see that the focus has shifted? I think we can see that clearly when we look at prevailing church metrics. I think once upon a time, the question we would ask about churches was, who have you reached? But that question has now been replaced with, how many people attend? See, I think these cruise ships are expending time and resources primarily on their internally focused programs, with their thought being, if we do these things well, people will come be rescued of their own accord. If not, then they probably don't want to be rescued anyways. Another common pattern is to see many Christians jumping from church to church looking for ways to meet their own needs and satisfy their own desires, and not looking outward for how they can help and reach the lost. And as a result, fewer and fewer non-Christians are finding help in churches for their spiritual condition. Now, before I go on, I want to clearly say I am not condemning all cruise ship type churches. Far be it for me to make a sweeping claim about all organizations. At the end of the day, the leaders in those places need to make their own decisions before the Lord. But what is my responsibility is how this organization, our church, how it moves into the future in a way that positions us to accomplish the mission of Christ. So, what about us? What about the Firehouse Church? Well, we've spent the last year converting and adjusting to become a lifeboat church. Did you realize that? <laughs> Again, a lifeboat that's a sleek and dynamic motorized rescue craft. That's our goal. We are striving to make our church fast, nimble, closer to the community, 
so that we can be most effective on our mission of seeing the lost saved, the shipwrecked people pulled out of the water. And so we've made house churches in large part for this purpose. And so you've probably noticed by now that house churches are not a vibrant rock concert or an amusement park. And they have a limit to the amount of people they will hold. But house churches are intended to offer us direction and relationship. And, and for sure, I think there's still the promise of having fun together. And if we pull enough people from the water and our house churches grow big, guess what? We'll just launch more lifeboats. So we as a church have decided to just let the cruise ships do what they do and trust that God can use them for his glory. He's all powerful anyways. And we are going to see how God will use us being lifeboats. So as we go forward into 2021 and beyond, and we do this as house churches, we have got to be really aware of complacency. We spent the last year transitioning, adjusting, and developing new routines, or you know, to go back to our analogy, getting our lifeboats set up and functioning for the most part. And I think for good reason, we've spent a lot of this time looking in. Because, you know, an, an uninflated boat or a boat with holes or a boat where everyone isn't hanging on tight, it's going to cause problems, right? But to avoid complacency means that we can't just keep looking in. We need to start looking out. And we got to pretty quick get to the questions of who's in the water? Who needs rescue? Remember, what's the goal of our faith or what's one of the goals of our faith? It's to save and rescue, according to 1 Corinthians 9 and Jude 23. Therefore, we've got to always remember that these lifeboat house churches are intended to help each and every one of us achieve this goal and to do it together as a team. Remember, lifeboats are fast, adaptable, and nimble. Lifeboats are primarily go and get, not come and see. Lifeboats have limits on capacity. But I tell you what, let's start pulling people in and then we can trust God to help us multiply the lifeboats. So let me conclude this analogy by pointing us forward. Over the next couple of months, each house church is going to be laying plans and taking action steps to rescue the lost and broken people around us. This is our mission commanded by Jesus and one of the goals of our faith. So you can expect that that's what we're going to be doing. And I believe that spiritually transformed individuals are the only hope for our society. As a church, what we're going to do is we're going to get some tangible ideas and concepts in front of you with the hope of sparking each house church into action. And each one is probably going to act in very different ways and, and take different approaches to this. And that's great. That's why we're in three different boats right now. But at the same time, although we're going to put those ideas in front of you, we, want, we, we also totally recognize that each one of you, every single one of you, 
is creative, gifted, thoughtful, and in tune with the Holy Spirit. And also, each one of you is uniquely connected to lost and broken people around you. So in a minute here, I'm going to pray. And then in your house church circles, I want you to have a discussion and talk about these questions. First, what excites you about being a lifeboat church? Second question, what is intimidating or fearful about being a lifeboat church? And we can be totally honest with these, these answers. Third question, what are some obstacles or, or needs that should be addressed in your house church to help you turn from looking in to looking out? And then finally, who are some people around you that need rescuing? And what I'd like you to do is, is share with each other in your church about who those people are. And then as a church, start brainstorming ideas about how you, as a lifeboat crew, can work together to reach them. And then don't forget to pray for those people at the end. So when I'm done praying, you can have a discussion on that. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, you've given us your son, Jesus. And that you've saved us by offering us that free gift of salvation that he's paid the penalty for us. And Lord, you've asked us to go into the world and to see others saved. Lord, to snatch others from the fire. That by all means possible, we would save some. So Lord, I ask you would help us to do that. Lord, we thank you for how you've carried us through this year, this time of transition in the midst of what was a really choppy sea with everything going on in our culture. And Lord, yet here we are today, a year later, Lord, and I'm encouraged with where we're at. But Lord, help us to turn. Help us to turn our focus and to start to look outwards, to be looking at the lost around us. Help us to strategize as house churches by your grace and by your spirit, ways that we could reach them, that we could pull them out of the water. We tell you that we love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.